Hello and welcome back to episode four of the Handball Podcast. Uh, my name's uh, Steve Flummer and it's great to have you with you here on Australia's first and only Handball Podcast. Uh, with me here today is my co-host Chris Shaw. Chris, how are you? Hey, how are you? How are you, Steve? Very good, very good. It's been a it's been a busy week in the world of handball, both on and off the court. So um, there's there's a, there's a lot to get into today, um, and also with us today, very special guest and and, and longtime friend of both Chris and mine is uh, Tape Ramadani. So Tape is the current head coach of the Australian men's handball team, and an absolute handball legend uh, in the Australian game. Tape, how are you? <laughs> hello, hello. Big fish in a small pond, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, yeah, you got to start somewhere, and uh, <laughs> that's why we're here. Yeah, yeah. great to have Excellent. you here, so, Tate. Yes. It's, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, and thanks for joining joining our podcast. Thank you, thank you. I just want to say what a great idea to have this podcast. You know, um, I've been around Australian Hammer for a very long time, and this is one thing that will unite, you know, us a bit more. And you know, good to talk about things that are happening. Good to talk about ideas. So, bring it on. Fantastic, thank you. So, so today's plan we're keeping it quite simple. Uh, we'll have a bit of an interview with Tape. Uh, yeah, look, we, we won't focus so much on today's game, but what we're really going to look at is where Tape got started. Um, he's played in a lot of countries, both as a player, also as a coach, he's been very heavily involved. Uh, and then we're going to get through some of the uh, results and news from around the world. And there's been a lot happening. Uh, being the end of season in Europe, uh, there's competitions ongoing, um, both the men's and women's junior world championships. And also have my favourite is the uh, wrap-up of the Premier Handball League in India. Um Without further ado, uh, I'm going to run through just just give you a bit of a paint a picture of, of, of who Tape is and and look, he can correct me where I'm incorrect uh, and we let's say where Wikipedia is incorrect, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll give a run around now. So so Tape was um, born here in Australia of Albanian heritage. Um, he's had a long playing career across many Australian clubs. Um, <laughs> Since the, the, the late 90s, uh, tapes played across in Hungary. In, you can pronounce get my pronunciation might be absolutely terrible, but Kosamor KSK. Uh, he's played in Norwegian club in Draman and Al Garafa in Qatar. For his international career, he's played 68 international matches, um, starting off with four IHF World Championships and, of course, uh, the Sydney Olympics in 2000, uh, which would be the first and the last time that Australia's played it um, on the world stage at the Olympics. Um, and as you know, a theme of the show has been counting down towards uh, the Brisbane Games in 2032. Tape's also contributed heavily off the court, um, having founded the Canberra, Can Canberra Handball Club. Um, we've had a very been a mainstay of the the New South Wales League uh, for many years. Uh, Tape's coached the Australian men's handball team. He had his first stint in 2009 to 2013, and has been reappointed uh, now in 2021. Um, 
in the gap there, he, he picked up, served as the head coach of the Kosovo men's uh, national team from 2016 to 2021, uh, where they had a fantastic result, getting a bronze at the IHF Trophy, um, uh, really climbing up the rankings. Um, Tate, look... An impressive career scanning. <laughs> Look, it's spanning decades now, mate. You've been <laughs> been around the game for a long time. Um, it's really great to have you by. Thank you, Steve. I think that's a very accurate um, representation of what I've done with handball. Um, as you can see, it, it takes up a big chunk of my life. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, look, we'll start with the obvious question is um, – why do you do it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, I love the game. Um, I've been involved for a long time. Um, but just the friends that I've made from the sport is what brings me back more than anything else. You know, some amazing people that are around the sport. And it's a small sport, um, but it's played worldwide. And it's a down-to-earth sport. So, you know, as you know, and, and Chris will... will tell you the same is you travel to Europe to any any top club in, the, in, in in Europe and you just give them a phone call and they're happy to have you come along to their training meet the players meet the coaches you know and this is the community that we have a global community where we are familiar with one another we keep relationships really strong and 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 this is really what draws me to the game more than anything great yeah, Brian. I think that's a that's a theme. That's a theme we've picked up over the last uh, few weeks, Chris. It's it's handball really is. Uh, it's a very tight community. Family, I think family yeah. is a very apt way of describing it. But tape tape. What was the how? Yeah, What was the first time that you get in touch with handball, and who brought you like into handball? Was it some mates in Australia? You saw it somewhere in Europe, or did your dad or family brought you over? So. Yeah, so my, my start with handball wasn't love at first sight, that's for sure. So um, my, my family decided to go back to um, Kosovo, Yugoslavia, where, where they came from. And we settled in a village actually in North Macedonia, uh, near the town of Kumanova. And I started going to school there immediately. I didn't speak any of the local language, so only English. And I was an outsider for sure. And we you know we were introduced to the sport in, in PE. And back then in Yugoslav communist system in 1980s, we all wore white singlets and black Adidas shorts and um, um, sneakers we call Chinese sneakers, which, you know, Converse made, you know, popular later on. So, um, and it was really regimented PE training sessions. And there was a teacher at the school that liked handball and they started introducing handball into our PE sessions. And... Because it was played on an outdoor field just behind the school, it was a very dusty field, and it, it, it was just chaos every time we played it. And there was not much grip on the ball either. You know, I was a skinny kid from from Sydney, and these were all farming kids who were really strong and big and, and, and dominant, so I didn't enjoy it at all. I didn't like the physical side of it. I didn't like, you know, the messy side of it. So I kind of... <laughs> didn't um, think more of it, uh, just, just did it for PE. But then something happened um, a couple of years later that, that really caught my attention. Um, my dad had been working in Belgrade in the 60s, and he'd met there an expat from Kosovo who'd got along with very well, and his son was playing handball, or started playing handball in, in those times. So 
back in, in back to her village in the 80s, uh, my dad told me that this man was um, going to visit us one one day. He said he's a very important man, and he was quite high ranked in the old Yugoslav Communist Party. And he said, you know, um, we have to be <laughs> in best behavior. And, you know, back as it was back then, you know, the kids were just seen and not heard and sometimes not even seen. So, but anyway, this, this man came to our, our, our house and, you know, he immediately, he had a lot of charisma. He was a big man with a lot of charisma and immediately came and had a chat to us kids. And, you know, he started asking me about sport. And I said, oh, I've tried a bit of Hamlet, I tried a bit of football, but I'm not really into sport very much. And he says, oh, well, he says, my son plays handball. And he started talking about his son, um, who played for Red Star Belgrade at the time. And he told me that he had played for Yugoslavia, that he was top uh, pivot in the 1982 World Championship. I actually had to have a chat to my dad the other day just to remember all the details of this conversation because I, I have um, memories of the conversation, but not the actual detail, but my dad kind of filled in the details. So um, his son was Petrit Fezulahu. And he had played for Yugoslavia for many years and was one of the key players in the Yugoslav national team. And um, a few, uh, I think, months after um, the visit, we saw on the news, like I started taking a lot more interest in, in handball. And we saw on the news that Petrit had had um, uh, had transferred to Barcelona FC to play for Barcelona back in the day. And his signing happened to have been at the same time as Maradona's mm. signing in the club. So they did this uh, photo session together, and that really stuck in my mind. Like here is this kid who I, who I had you know some sort of connection with, you know, alongside Maradona being signed up for one of the biggest clubs in the world. And that kind of um, it was really interesting because you know going over that story and reading it seeing it in the press and seeing all the news kind of gave me visions of myself playing handball on, on tv and that's what that's kind of that's the memory that stuck in my head from back then so i had visions of myself playing handball on tv because i i, I fell in love with it from that day on um, and then I started watching watching the games. You know, there was a club called Metal Plastica from Yugoslavia, which was really successful, winning I think Champions League a few times and one of the top teams in Europe. And then the Yugoslav national team obviously was one of the best teams in the world back in the 80s. So my first memory of uh, Hamble World Championship was the 1986 World Championship in Switzerland. And I remember vividly Yugoslavia winning that tournament against Hungary in the final. So from then on, I really fell in love with the game, and I couldn't get enough of it. But I wasn't playing it anyway. There was no club in my village. Um, and I, th I think a few months, only a few months after that final of the World Championship, my family decided to come back to Australia. And that's where, <laughs> where my handball story begins, because as soon as I came back to Australia, I was looking for handball. And, you know, back in the day where there's no internet, there's no, you know, there was nothing on Hamble, there's no, nothing we could find on white pages, nothing I could find on yellow pages, nothing I could, no phone number to call. <laughs> but fortunately, um, in the school I started um, going to was a, a English as a second language school where there was people from all over the world. And there was a kid there who told me that he plays Hamble in, and he was a big Hamble player from Kuwait. 
And that's where, you know, we immediately made a connection with each other and a pact to try and find a handball club in, in Australia. So I was, I think, 14 and he was about 17. He was an older kid. And which I'm not sure how, but he somehow found the contact um, of a handball club training at uh, University of New South Wales. And... You know, we, we somehow got a phone number. We called that phone number. We were invited to come to a training session. So we went along. We went along to the training session, and there we met um, Sasha Dimitric. And we, were, we watched the training session, yeah. and the training session was all uh, university students from Europe, Germans and Polish, and, and a couple of Australian players as well. It's amazing. I mean, you can't really start a handball story in Australia without mentioning Sasha, um, <laughs> the, 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 the grandfather of, Australia, of handball in Australia. And uh, I think anyone who's been involved in the game the last 25 years would, 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 have, would remember him. Um, and whether it be a conversation or seeing him on the side of the yeah, on the side of the court with a camera yeah. um in his later years with his with, with his walking stick and there but yeah always always yeah. involved in the game yeah. and he was incredibly passionate you know even then you know um as soon as we got there he was like yep let's get you into the training and we're like we just came to watch he goes what why waste your time why waste your time coming all the way here without in your gear we didn't have a gear with us either <laughs> so he was quite upset with us and we were intimidating all these boys were really you know tall and big and athletic and we were just like two skinny little kids that just wanted to play the game that really, you know, weren't very confident either. But yeah, he was good and he invited <laughs> us along. And, you know, at the time, uh, uh, apart from uh, Sasha, who was an amazing mentor to me all throughout my handball career, Alex Gavrilovic was there too. And Alex was one of my earliest coaches, um, really took a lot of care in, in, you know, in developing us, helping us with those first skills. So um, that was, you know, my memory of the first handball experience in Australia. And, from then on, it was just like handball. All I could think was about handball. <laughs> so we ended up finding a few more other teams that were training, um, New South Wales were training. So I was making an effort to go to everything. Every night I was at a, a training session, so much so that my parents were like, you can't do this. You're going to fail every subject at school. <laughs> uh, but when the bug hits you, you just, yeah, it, it, it's very hard to... Yeah, just to sit back when 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 something like that grabs you. Um, so really, really curious, just for me. So you said there were there are a few Australian players around the club. Um, do you know what kinds of sports they were playing outside of handball? Yeah, two two of the players that stuck out back in the day, and they they were really um, um, very welcoming to me and very supportive of me. Were Jed Morrison. Who was the you know national team captain at the time? And Craig Stubb, who, Craig Stubbs, who was from Orange, he was the university student at UNSW, and he was a super talented handball player. Um, they both, um, well, Jed had come from uh, I I can't remember actually where Jed had come from, but Craig Stubbs had played a bit of AFL in school, but the handball was the number one sport. Um, they'd been playing it for a few years. Um, and they were really into the game. So and they were both national team players and, you know, two really close um, friends of mine. No, brilliant. So um, so was it just handball? Did you did you dabble in the other sports? Or once the handball got a hold of you, was that, um, that was the only one for you? Yeah, so when I first uh, came to Australia in those early days, I was looking to just do any sport because, um, you know, 
back then we didn't have anything else to do either. you went to school and you did nothing after that if you didn't have any sport and you didn't have any friends and you had nothing so because we didn't have those you know friends to to um hang hang out with um i i i wanted to play sport and my dad put me in a football club in a soccer club and i hated it i didn't like it at all <laughs> i felt like an outsider i felt like an outsider because i was the only one who didn't speak english and it was really tough and and that's why Hamble really also um, made a big impact with me because I wasn't the only one who didn't speak English or didn't speak English well. There was a lot of people who spoke lots of different languages, and so uh, yeah, I felt right at home. Uh, fantastic. And um, so we sort of fast forward a few years, and and so you've been playing handball within Australia for a while, and then you've made the move across to Hungary. Um, I guess starting out, yeah, moving up up the rankings how tell us about that yeah so um i was um i'd been in the national team from about 1993 since sydney olympics was announced um and this was now 97 it's about four years in the national team and never really getting a game always on the bench or missing out on on games and it was getting really frustrating for me so i thought the only way to improve because i was really keen to be on the national team the only way to make that step up is to just go to europe so um at the time i was one of our coaches was zoltan marcinka who was a hungarian coach in australia and he kind of um got wind of my interest to play in europe so he lined me up with a club in in hungary and i didn't hesitate so i went over with jason hopner we even shared a room together um, and we joined one one club and we were we were training with another club so we were training with the top team in hungary at the time Elektromos, and we were playing for chemer so the evening sessions every night we were training with chemer and in the mornings every morning with Elektromos, which was in budapest about an hour's train ride so we're doing that twice a day for about a whole a whole a handball season and although you don't notice it day to day, once you go home, you realize that, you know, immediately there was a big division between um, us and the rest of the players. The level was so much higher. The types of training were um, like nothing we'd experienced here. So, you know, um, it, it, it made a big difference to our game, the way we approached our trainings, the, you know. You, know, you mentioned culture. I mean, this was real humble culture. Everyone had that elite mentality. You know, um, the training was a serious business, and you know that kind of rubbed us, rubbed, rubbed on us as well, and made us different players. So we both, the moment we came back to Australia, we both stood out in the national team as top players. You can, so yeah, I'd love to hear about what do you mean by, um, I guess, elite mentality? What's what's the leap that, that that was made? Yeah, I mean, so here, I mean, I, the way I saw it here is that we had a lot of talented players, but. Uh, it was a more like social men mentality. Like we 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 trained, and you know we kind of, you know, you went home, you did your thing, you went to work, you forgot about handball until the next training session. You know the training sessions were, you know, you had top players and you had players who were just there for hobby handball. So there was not that, you know, it was a bit of a mismatch of players. You know, not like in the club I was playing with at the time, you know, you had four or five national team players and the rest were just there for fun, you know, something social to do. But in Hungary, everyone was there because they, that was their career, that was their job. They were professional handball players. Um, what, what they did differently to us was that they, 
when training started, it was it was extremely serious. There was so much focus on not making errors, on on, on improving, on 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 doing the best you can. But after training session, it was all about all about recovery. You know, they'd go to do the recovery sessions in the pool or in the gym. Um, it was about what food they ate. It was about you know what they drank. Um, in, just the way they carry themselves off the court as well like, made a big difference. And, um, you know, you had in, in that first team we're training in the mornings with the left almost, you had seven or eight Hungarian national team players. And they, they not only were were hard on themselves and on the expectations for themselves, but other players as well. So if there were junior players, younger players, these guys made sure that these, these players stayed in line or, you know, they did their best. So... There was no opportunity for you to just, you know, take it easy or, or, or you know. Yeah, I think I think yeah. One thing's you know, as we move through this season, uh, you know, I think club culture is it means a you know it means different things to different clubs. But um, and I've I've had the the privilege to watch my wife um, move through with the Sydney Cricket Club, which five years ago went through a massive restructuring. Uh, I guess it was a very social club, and that's created in its times created a lot of elite players in the in the women's cricket scene. Um, but seeing what you know over five years to build up from a very social club now to the best club uh, in Sydney, three times running. Um, they they had one team now they've got three grades, a junior team at different levels. Um, you know. A really great administration um, who cares about the game. Um, yeah, I think you, know, you can have elite players, but without a club and without a structure, you're all, it's going to be tough. Um, and so I think it's yeah. I think you hit the, 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 very, the nail on the head with that one, Steve. I think it's really important that we have strong clubs like this be proud in your club and have champions that lead these clubs. You know, we have a couple of clubs now that I you know, in this situation and, you know, players that are in the part of the club, they have to be proud of being part of the club. So the culture they build, it has to be together as, as a team. You know, you have Sydney Union with someone like uh, uh, Sebastian Taverso leading it. You have even a club like Brisbane, we have David Gillespie in charge of that kind of club. They're starting to build, you know, a culture, uh, a program for the future. And, and this is really good to see. And I, I want to see more clubs in Australia doing the same, taking ownership of their club and some pride and, and, and developing it. Yeah, I mean, once you start putting the effort in, I think the results speak for themselves and you, you build a really strong foundation. Um, you know, a few elite players can rise up the ranks, but, you know, if they need that foundation, otherwise the, the tower topples very quickly. So it's about bringing, you know, first team, second team, third team, you know, some junior teams that can sort of bridge from the, I guess, you know, it's, it's a highly participated sport in Australia at, at a... Um, at a high school level, but they never seem to translate um, to the clubs. And uh, I think that that's, I guess, a real focus. And that's what I'm very passionate about is making these clubs, making the, that jump. Because uh, I was like you, it took me years after watching Sydney Olympics to then find where this was, where could I play it. And uh, look, I, I didn't get as bitten as you didn't and, 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 and spread my wings and see other parts of the world. But, you know, I wanted to play the sport and, and it's built a lot of great relationships that I'm thankful I took the leap. 
Um, so if I move along, so you, then you've moved through playing in, in, in Norway as well as Qatar. Um, have you had a favourite club or club scene you've played for over the years? Yeah. There's been a lot of good clubs I've played for. I mean, I've played about six or seven clubs in total, but, you know, I think my experience in Norway was a special one. You know, it's I, I played for Drummond, which at the time was the top club in Norway. We played a lot of European um, Cup games, a lot of travel. Um, they were a serious club which trained every day. Um, the culture in the team was... Um, uh, I'm not sure how to put it, but it was just like something that drew you in every day. Like if you weren't at training on Wednesday, you felt that you were missing something. And and that's why the participation levels were really high. Hardly anyone ever missed any training sessions. They were fun. You know, we had a, a coach who was really good at creating a fun environment in training. So you learned and you pushed yourself, but in a very fun way. And it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do because especially if you see it as a job, you know, we have to put in a lot of work. Um, it's to, to make it to add that fun element to it and still keep developing and learning is is quite tricky balance to get right mm. um but i had a lot of fun in that club in in norway and you know and norway is a beautiful country so to play handball in norway was very special so tape you've played in a lot of countries with a lot of different players um any stories you'd like to share on, you know, along the way, anything funny, mishaps, um, teammates and the like? Um, yeah, a few lost in uh, translation stories um, where, where, you know, I remember once with um, Jason, we were due to go on an important game on a trip away, which is a two-hour trip. And, you know, all the information was passed in Hungarian, you know, during training sessions. And because we didn't speak any Hungarian, um, <laughs> we, we knew there was a match on the day, but um, we, we we didn't know it was an away match. And we were just waiting. <laughs> and then we show up to the venue um, about two hours before the match and no one's there. We wondering what's, what's going on. And then we find someone that speaks English. Was in, we were playing in a very small village who, not, you know, with hardly anyone spoke in English. So we managed to find someone that spoke a bit of English and managed to translate for us, telling us that the bus had left eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and, the, and that the coach was not pleased with us. <laughs> so yeah, we, yeah, we, we missed that much. Yeah. But also yeah, it was, it was it reminded them to translate for us. Oh, that's brilliant. It's um, always very important to talk to your international players and, and make sure they know what what needs to be done. Tape, do you have any um, role models? Um, role models as you were growing up playing? When I was a player? Uh, uh, yeah, so as, as a player, we, we had the fortune of being... Um, having had a close relationship with the Swedish national team at the time. And the former Bengt Johansson had volunteered his time to come and help us coach coach and, 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 and work with us during the time before the Olympic Games. Um, so Bengt was an amazing personality that, um, that knew how to bring the best out of anyone. Um, had a really good rapport with players. Had a good rapport with um, 
administrators with anyone in sport that knew him, you know, knew what a special person he was. So for me, I saw him uh, uh, as a role model, but um, there were players as well, obviously, that, you know, I, I really learned a lot from back in, in the 90s. There was a group of players that, you know, I, w I would follow and, and you know, watch and, and try and replicate what they were doing on the court. Um, but, you know, there was uh, like Lovgren of Sweden was just an amazing player. The guy that um, what we call clutch player that could just in, in when you look at the success of, of Sweden, you know, it was a great team. But uh, someone like Ste uh, Lovgren, every time there was a situation where, you know, the game was would go either way, he would step up. He would take the responsibility. He'd take the shots. He'd make all those leadership calls that I haven't seen any player like to that level so far yet. Just an amazing player to watch. Ah, oh, brilliant! It's um, as I, it's one of the things also we're trying to look to encourage is you know the the sports. I mean, compared to back when you're learning the game, um, it might not be on TV, but there's a lot more resources to uh, to find the games. Um, it's great that the IHF and uh, the HF, at least in this region, they they allow us. Because of it on mainstream TV, they uh, they they unlock the streaming, and you know there's a great back catalogue yeah. of games. And I think for those for those who are starting out in the sport, those who are playing the sport, uh, it's I mean it's a great resource there, and it's 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 at your very much at your fingertips. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Can you imagine back in the day in the early nineties, we'd wait six seven weeks to receive a videotape, a VHS videotape of the World Championship Games. And, you know, just be sharing them around and, you know, watching them on repeat all the time. It was, yeah, <laughs> the amount of resources we have today oh, at our fingertips is just mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, for me, my – I mean, I, I, I'm passionate about a lot of sports and the first sport outside of Australia I fell in love with was um, American football, the gridiron. And I – so this would be the early 90s and I would tune into SBS on a Sunday morning <laughs> watching uh, Don Lane uh, on a seven-day – it was about six-day delay, delay, six delay from when it actually happened in America uh, to get the highlights package and I would literally – I watched the the one hour highlights package on Sunday morning with my dad on TV, and I mean these days it's every game is live <laughs> and you know, uninterrupted on, um, on on Fox Sports or ESPN. But yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I remember those um, days well. <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different era, and yeah, then yes, that's right. And now they're getting on VHS tape to try and watch some of these old games, and and now it's. Uh, I dare say that some of the you know, people playing the game in Australia have, have rarely watched a game. Maybe when it um, it popped up at the Sydney Olympics or even the Olympics, every four years it definitely gets a run on Channel Seven. And I think people, a lot of people, start to watch it, and then it goes away, and and, and then yeah, wait for another four more years. Uh, Chris, do you have any more questions there for for tape before we we move on to the the world of coaching? Um, I mean, I've asked him like, like a role model and um, for me also interesting like regarding as a player, when you used to be a player, a player right now, what's the big difference when you look back like 20 years ago and as a player right now, well, what's the big difference? I, 
I look back and uh, and I think what could I have done to have become a better player because I didn't have the technical skill. I didn't have the the natural talent uh, for handball. I didn't have the jump or the speed that you need. So I worked really hard and I spent a lot of time in the gym. But I didn't have the best off-the-field coaching. I mean, yes, on the court we had some good coaches, but off-the-field coaching, like I just did my own thing and I don't think I ever did the right thing. You know. Um, um, now the amount of resources players have, like we were saying earlier, at their fingertips and 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 you know, information on how to develop any part of your game is just out of this world. You know, back then I didn't have that that knowledge and I didn't have that coaching that I needed to 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 improve those aspects of my game, my physical aspects of the game, for example. So we just spend a lot of time in the gym pushing heavy weights, but not really doing it with the right technique or knowing what the exact purpose of what I'm doing is. So I did a lot of things wrong. And and now you, you talk to athletes, even in my camera club, and they are so knowledgeable about, you know, what the best program for their body is because they do a lot of research and there's a lot of information out there for them to to develop that aspect of their game the only unfortunate thing they have is they're not playing as many games as we used to back then which um which is you know difficult for them to 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 be a handball player we're not playing enough games is is yeah but that is i think the main thing is is not having had the information and, and the off the field coaching that i have now yeah Brilliant. Um, so you, you coached Australia for a while. That's where I first got to know you. Well, I first got to know you. I was, I think it was my first season playing for Sydney Uni and um, <laughs> had no idea what I was doing. And I, I guess I was a big physical guy that came across from rugby and <laughs> you may have told me so. Um, but um, so then you coach you coach the, the the men's national team for a few years there um, in Australia, and then you made the the transition and and, and coach for Kosovo um, closer to your yeah I guess much closer to your heart. Tell tell us about that um, that experience that handball in Kosovo. Yeah, so handball is a very popular and important sport in Kosovo. So you know you have football, you have basketball, but in participation wise, handball is is really big and. People have really fond memories of, uh, as I spoke earlier about 1980s handball in Yugoslavia. So in Kosovo, handball in the 1980s was a very big sport, and they had six, seven, eight clubs that were, you know, always competing in the either top league or the second division of Yugoslavia. And the second division of Yugoslavia back then was one of the top leagues in the world. So you have now a generation of people in their 60s and 70s who have a, a big love and you know they reminisce a lot about those days of handball where you know the clubs were supported really well by the system you know they had a lot of professional players so there is a lot of knowledge and a lot of tradition in handball in sport um, when I was contacted by Kosovo Handball Federation, it wasn't because of lack of coaches in, in Kosovo. It was because they wanted someone with an outside kind of another angle to, to, to bring something different to the, to the coaching style because the coaching style wasn't, wasn't working well for them at the time. And they wanted someone that they could not, that no one could accuse of conflict of interest because all the coaches were, you know, really heavily tied to a club or another 
and they thought if they bring someone from outside who knows the language, knows the culture, but has no uh, affiliations with any club, um, would be a big bonus uh, so that they, will, they avoid the conversations about conflict of interest. So, uh, as, you know, I, as soon as I went there, I realized, you know, um, <laughs> the importance of handball in the country because, you know, there was a press conference, there were a lot of questions, there were, you know, um, I hadn't even landed yet and, you know, there were calls for my, you know, resignation that, I, you know, you know, he's better off coaching kangaroos, what does he know about handball, all this stuff that was just distracting and I kind of took it to heart at first, but then I realized this is the mentality, I'm going to have to deal with this one way or another. Um, but as soon as I started working with, with the team, I, I, I started enjoying, but also was a big learning experience for me, like learning how to coach in, the, in this kind of environment where everyone had an opinion about the team. Yeah, so, I mean, if we, we draw it back to our Australian audience, to me it's um, it, it's almost like you were coming back to coach the, yeah, I guess someone from England coming out to coach the um, – I guess the Australian cricket team, and uh, all the critique, all the yeah, all the harassment that would go with that came along with it. Yeah, it was it was a bit like that. You know, I had a few supporters, but I also had a lot of people that were just like saying that I, I should I should go just back home. I'm not 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 good for this role. Yeah, so um, so you took over. You took over the team and um, worked your way through to the the IHF Trophy um, and had some great success. Um, where did you start? What, what what would you put that down to? Um, you, the success you had there at the the, the IHF Trophy. Yeah. So on, on my first couple of um, um, sessions with the national team, I, I underestimated the the importance of the team severely. And we had a, a a home game against Estonia, in it was my third game I think in, the, in with the national team, and we hadn't done our due diligence in preparing for this game. And you know the game started six thousand people in a small town um, of Jakova, six thousand people in the in the stands. You know started with a lot of enthusiasm, but we had a really bad start to the game, and then the 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 public started becoming agitated, angry. And before the halftime was finished, we were, we, I think we were down by seven or eight goals. I tried different things. They didn't work. Um, before the halftime, almost 4,000 people left. It was like 2,000 people left. And midway through the second half, the whole of the court had ended because we were now trailing by, I think, 12, 13 goals to Estonia, which is not seen as a, as a good team. And the team had gone through a really tough time because they'd lost to Italy by before I got there by 15 to Romania by 15, 16, they were really struggle, struggling internationally, not because they didn't have good players, but because there was no unity in the team. There was a lot of division. There was a lot of infighting. There was uh, issues that were outside of um, humble, humble reasons. So um, that happened. And obviously there were a lot of calls for my resignation or my, my sacking immediately. It was a really tough time for me. I, I copped a lot of criticism, a lot of anger from within the team as well as outside. And then, you know, I realized if I'm going to stay here, I'm going to have to put in a much, much bigger effort. So I set about to change the whole culture of the, of the team, um, make changes, um, even, you know, get some younger players in the team um, who would have not had a go um, otherwise. And, you know, those cultural changes made a big difference. There was a couple of players that we got in that 
immediately just by their behavior. They started started changing the culture of the team. And then we went to this tournament um, in in Bulgaria, the uh, IHF Emerging Nation tournament, which was important for us because uh, for the top three teams, we'd go to the second phase of the European Championship qualifier. So there was a lot of pressure for us to to, to be there. Um, and then, you know, we had a really good result at that tournament. We won, you know, um, we we had a really big win against Luxembourg and um, some other teams <laughs> can't come to mind right now. But it was a good tournament for us. We won the bronze medal, and that just from then on it kind of turned the whole mentality of the team. Um, and we started making you know big inroads into um, into European handball. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it, you know culture, whether it be business or sport or life, and you know culture is everything. And uh, you know, once you start to change, you can you can have the best players in the world, the best facility, facilities, but um, yeah, without culture, um, I think it's yeah, culture is the big yeah. changer. Yeah. And, and 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 you know, big congratulations to you and what you managed to do there. And look, I'm sure I'd love to dig into that. We'd probably be on this one, but yeah, I'd love to dig into what the changes were made there, and I know there's many more conversations to come, but a lot of learnings that can uh, can be taken. That's right. Yeah, two things that really stood out for me: culture and self belief. I think that was one thing that was missing a lot. So self belief, you know, we, that was one of our themes in the national team. You know, you're a good player; you should believe in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's is self belief and, and and a core culture and yeah you know, it doesn't happen overnight but um, you know I think you can be, I'm sure you're very proud of what happened there and and I think some a lot of learnings to bring back to to our fair shores back with the kangaroos and uh, <laughs> <laughs> see what could happen there. Um, oh, another I mean area which to me. Um, and we, we may touch this, touch on this one briefly today, and I think there's a whole a whole deep dive on this. Is uh, for me the, the Sydney Olympics. For me, it was a big part of my life, um, and I've, and uh, my my grandfather was part of the '56 games in Melbourne, so it's always been, I guess, somewhere in the DNA to to be a part of. But um, what was it like? What was Sydney like for you? Um, being that I guess it was a very new sport for many Australians. Um, you know, with a lot of clubs all across, you know, small clubs, you know, they say a mix between social and, and, and elite. Um, what was the experience like to build for Sydney? Yeah, the, the year or two before the Olympic Games, I, I used to live in Sydney. I was living in Sydney at the time. And the, those two years just before the Olympic Games, the city transformed, like just in – in the vibe of the city, it was so much buzz around the town. Everywhere you went, Olympics was the main topic. Um, and you know, knowing that you're part of that project was just um, more than just inspiration. It was it was just uh, something that made you jump out of bed every morning. Like you knew you were part of this exciting project, and you, there might be a chance you might be in the Olympic Games. You know, more tourists were coming to Australia than ever before. And in that week before the Olympic Games started and we were about to go into the Olympic Village, I remember the buzz, the atmosphere was just out of this world. So many people gushing out of every door, out of every train, every bus. Um, and and everyone just seemed so genuinely happy and excited about what was going on. So when we, we went into the Olympic Village, um, <laughs> we, 
uh, with 15 other players or 14 other players, um, uh, we were, uh, you know, we were pinching ourselves. You know, this isn't supposed to happen to us. <laughs> We we weren't we're not meant for this. We kind of almost like in a, in a dream, uh, kind of a, some 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 sort of strange reality. But you know, it was us, and we were in the middle of it, and we had you know we had to do a job apart from just enjoying the experience of it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. Uh... Yeah, just I mean, look, viewers at home, at home can't see, but the smile on your face when you said Olympics—it's, um, yeah, I guess it holds a very special place in your heart. Yes, absolutely. I mean, something that you'll never forget. It's always with you, um, even though it feels like a lifetime away. You know, um, I have vivid recollection, recollections of the games, of the friendships I made, the conversations I had with people. Um, it wasn't just. With handball players, we, we we were able to socialize with athletes of all different sports and discipline, and it was just amazing, amazing experience. And I, I hope more people can have that. Amazing! I think we're gonna start to wrap up um, take this interview today because not not more because we don't have enough time to keep going through, and I'll, I'm sure we'll continue the conversations and uh, get you back another late another point in time but uh, I think for you what advice would you give to a young player um, and why they should get started start with handball today well I always say this that handball is, is the perfect sport for young kids it, it, you're only using your natural skills running, throwing, jumping, catching and balance and it's a base for any sport in the, in, in, that you could play um, my advice to kids is just have fun, have fun, get to know the game. And, you know, if, if, if it's something that suits your lifestyle, your, um, your temperament, then, you know, chase a dream. You never know. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Tape. Uh, Chris is dropping on and off. <laughs> As, I mean, normally, it's Chris and I sitting around the uh, around the coffee table at my place or around the dining table at his. But uh, today, we're coming to you from different corners of Sydney, and. Uh, it's not as stable as we are. We're at the table, but um, tape. Thank you so much for your time. Um, we will we will see you again soon, um, and we'll see you, especially in uh, Canberra, in about three weeks' time for the uh, national club championships, which is sure to be a fantastic and very competitive event. Thank you, Steve. Um, yeah, it was a great pleasure to be part of this chat i i know i'm really looking forward to seeing the, this podcast growing bigger and better and you know hearing from a lot more people around australia and the world even and i'm really looking forward to um uh, hosting everyone in our beautiful canberra for the big tournament this year amazing thank you tape we'll uh we'll carry on with the with the news and results but uh we will catch you again soon thank you steve thank you chris see you soon they say yeah. Okay, and uh, now on to the uh, news and events, and it's uh, news. It's been a very busy week in the world of handball. 
Uh, when we left you last time, uh, we had just seen the semi-finals of the PHL, the Premier Handball League in India. Um, and so now we've moved on to the final. And the final was between the Mahastra Ironmen and the Golden Eagles from Utah, Uttar Pradesh. Um Look, it was always going to be a, t- a big game, uh, being that the two of the top players in the league were going head-to-head. Uh, we had uh, Igor Chisilov from the Ironmen and Sukhvir Singh Brar, uh from the Golden Eagles uh, going head-to-head. Um, when the match got underway, I think the Ironmen were never looking back, uh, taking a 12-point lead at the half. I think a six-point lead at the half and... Uh, Stretched that out, suppose the end of the game resulted in a 38-24 win to the Ironmen um, in an absolutely dominant display. Uh, the MVP of the final was, as, as I mentioned earlier, Igor Chisilov, um, one of the uh, three international players that each of these clubs um, can bring in. Uh, Chris, what... Did you get to see the spectacle that was the PHL? Actually, I did. I did. I've seen seen the final, and I saw some highlights from the semifinals, and it was great stuff. Good level. Um, yeah, it was to be overall. It was a, a great event, and um, yeah, great production. Good handball in, on a good level, and I really enjoyed it. it did it quite well. Yeah, so far. That's right. I think um, yeah, when the Indians put on an event, yeah, it was it was a lot of Bollywood. Uh, yeah. the, the package and the spectacle was yeah second to none, and I'm really looking forward to the second time around. I think yeah, the quality of play will go up. Um, yeah. there'll be more people coming to watch, and yeah. you can't lose you know from from where they were. Um, to wrap up the season there, so they gave out the, the, the league awards. Um, Sukhvir Singh Bra from the Golden Eagles Uttar Pradesh uh, took home the golden ball for his 102 goals scored throughout the league. And Rahul TK from the Telugu Talons uh, took home the golden glove for amassing a league high of 184 saves. Um, it's fantastic seeing two of the Indian nationals there taking home the tournament awards. And the MVP of the league went to Bra again from Uttar Pradesh. Um, that's the uh, the big left-hander um, uh, from, from the Golden Eagles. And uh, look forward to watching him in, in, in future tournaments. Uh, also... I say it's the end of season, so in summertime in Europe. So all the end of season events are taking place, uh, and we've had the Asian Women's Junior Handball Championship. So this is under twenties for women. Uh, it's been taking place in Kowloon Park in Hong Kong, and this serves as the qualification event to the Women's Junior Handball World Championships in North Macedonia uh, next June. So always hotly contested and uh, the top team gets its seat um, at, the, at, the, at the Junior World Championships. Uh, they're broken down into two groups and at the moment we've got the 
team from Japan, uh, leading Group A, and they've been absolutely dominant in their uh, in the group phase. Uh, they beat Hong Kong forty six eight and Kuwait fifty five seven. That's um, that's a thrashing in anybody's books, and uh, in the Group B, uh, China currently are leading the way um, with wins of 29 to 23 over Iran and 35 to 22 over India. Um, it's very much looking like we'll see a Japan-India, uh, sorry, Japan-China showdown, um, which those who've been following along mirrors the uh, the Women's Basketball World Championships we've had in Sydney here over the past week. Uh, that was an absolutely thrilling finish with China defeating Japan in the final um, to break Japan's five-tournament streak as the uh, women's champions of Asian basketball. Now, moving along, Chris, one was a lot closer to your heart, which is the Junior Men's <laughs> World Championship uh, yeah. in, they've been holding in Greece and Germany. Why don't yes. you, Pace, why don't you, I'll throw it to you. Yes, thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, um, happy happy to talk about it. Um, yeah, as, as Steve said, it was the, the final, final weekend. And honestly, uh, last night was the final. Um, Germany against Hungary and it was a really really good game and really really good good uh, good level of handball and luckily yeah the Germans uh, remain unbeaten and won the title again so it has been the third time after 2011 and 2015 um, yeah. and as I said it's the third time that they won the, the world champs title and they did quite well. Um, yeah, as I said, there's some good talents, not just from Germany, also from Hungary, and hopefully we see them, see them, see them soon in the future. And yeah, then comes then to to the claim to the third place. Iceland beat um, was a good game against Serbia, um, won the, um, the bronze medal, and then the fourth and fifth play was uh, Croatia Denmark. And one country what really in, in, impressed me the most was the Faroe Island that came seventh at the world champs um yeah i don't know steve have you seen any 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 games of the under 21s so far oh look I've, i i haven't managed to tune into the the full games but uh the social team from the ihs has been working overtime to 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 fill up my uh my instagram feed and yeah some some very big very fast young men uh yeah. there and it's it i mean it it, it's a very fast game when we start talking under twenty ones. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, been 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 fantastic. But but the Faroe Islands, how about that? The very small population of fifty thousand, but what a it result was, for them! Yeah, it's insane. Like as you said, like only fifty thousand of population. It's smaller than than the city of Sydney, and yeah, they came into the like quarterfinals and can become sevens, which is great, fantastic. Yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah. I don't know. It must be something they're eating or something they're drinking there. But uh, <laughs> we have to find out. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, yeah, we'd love to to speak to someone if they can in the Faroe Islands to see. You know, what are they doing? Um, yeah, you know, yeah. As, as it's it's the players are one thing, but um, uh, you'd have to say it's, there's something in the culture there that is. Um, yeah. That, that, that brings about those those kind of results. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, maybe one day we have someone in the podcast. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I hope so. I hope we can get someone very soon. Yeah. All right. 
So look, that that ends a very big, uh, you know, big episode for us. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's a big day. It's been great to talk to Tape. Um, he. Unfortunately, you couldn't see it at home, but the way Tape's eyes light up when he starts talking handball, oh, man, he loves it. Yeah, yeah. He's passionate <laughs> with this and it's just great. Yeah, great great insights. Yeah, absolutely infectious and um, a, lot of, a lot of learnings about club culture and things that you can, you know, things, things you can do to get started, but but also what you need to grow. So I, I think we'll definitely be having him back in the near future. For sure. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, I guess let's sign it off there for today and say thank you to all for listening in. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, hit us on our socials, the underscore handball underscore podcast on Instagram. Get to the handballpodcast.com. Send us a send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I think what I'm enjoying the most is talking about what it means to play handball in all these different parts of the world, how it builds community, how it builds culture, and yeah, look, the results are there, but um, it's 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 what goes on behind the scenes that I really love. Yeah, great. Great. Thank you all for your time. Look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you sometime in the next week with the uh, yeah. with, with episode five. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. And see you soon, guys. Bye-bye. That's good. See ya. Thanks.